Hey everyone, welcome back to the Life is Love School YouTube channel. I'm super excited. I have my friend Diana Chu on the line here. She is a drama therapist. So I'll have her talk a little bit more. Um, she's the first drama therapist I know, super unique. She's also a licensed mental health consultant and she does work for uh, various nonprofits in San Francisco. So her coverage area is all of California in case you um, ever wanna visit her. Um, she works with both kids and adults. Today, I wanted to bring her to the show because I know that many of you have interest around attachment theory. You know, first of all, what is attachment theory? Where does it come from? How does that influence how we have relationship with other people? So welcome, Diana. Hello, hello. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Diana Chu. Um, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am very excited to be talking to you guys about attachment. Just a little bit of background about myself. I'm located in San Francisco uh, and uh, I'm working uh, in a, as a program manager as an Asian Family Institute. And it's a clinic where we take clients in. Um, you can also find me in uh, dianachutherapy.com and to connect with me. Um, and today, specifically, we're going to talk about attachment styles. Are you interested in attachment styles and how, how knowledgeable are you in attachment styles? Um, I know some just because I, I read the book called Attached. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I got the book right here. So Attached is a great book to start with. Um, I think most of the therapists um, that you see, American family therapists, they would have this in their, in their office or their bookshelf. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing book. I read it at least 10 times. I, I listened to it and I fall asleep to it. So I was hoping that it would sink into my subconsciousness. So I, I'm super curious as in where does, what is, first of all, what is attachment theory? And then maybe second of all, where did it come from? Yeah. So attachment theory is a very Western kind of like um, attachment model. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we're talking with about kids, uh, we always talk about attachment theory because we um, we're innately as human beings and animals we kind of cling on to our our family members and my our parents or our mom you know um, and so a lot of times when psychologists do studies uh, about attachment theories um, it's uh, fa super fascinating because it allows us to understand how we relate to each other Mm -hmm. So there is like one study that uh, an experiment is called the stranger, strange experiment, uh, stranger experiment. Strange situation test. Oh, strange situation. <laughs> There's so many psychology yeah. tests, it's like I can't keep track. Yeah, so um, that's, uh, that's uh, the experiment where um, we, uh, the, the, the clinician and the, and the researcher is realizing that there is different attachment styles in, in children. So the, the, the experiment is basically the child and the mother is in the room playing and the mom would leave the room and then the mom would return. And throughout this segment, they're gonna see how the child is behaving. So in the playroom, in a secure attached child, the child will play happily. And then when the mom leaves, the child will pause and not be happy a little bit and look around. Right. And then when the mom returns, we'll welcome her and return to, to the play really quickly. And then there's another one, which is called um, uh, an anxious, you know, anxious attachment style. So when the, uh, well, this is like a more of a, like a avoidant anxious type. 
So when the, in the playroom, the child plays really happily, when the mom sleeps, like they kind of like continue to play. And then when the mother returns, they kind of ignore the mother, kind of like a little bit angry at them. And then there's the avoidant and, uh, you know, the, the insecure, uh, ambivalent, resistant kind of style which is the, the child and playing in the playroom clings to the child and to the mother and like wanted the mother to like give attention to the child. And when the mom leaves, like the child would feel very unhappy and might even like stop playing, crying potentially. And when the mother returns, like it's, the child will be very angry and maybe like cry or like cling on the, onto the mother again. And then the last but not least is the disorganized style. So the disorganized style in the playroom, the child is more cautious, like, oh, what, what is this? Like a little bit of like, even like there's a, um, like familiar toys, it's a little bit cautious because it's a different. The mom leaves, they may stare, yell, look or confuse or like get really scared. And when the mother returns, will act a little bit odd, like may scream or like throw things, like a little bit of disorganized. So a lot of different things that's happening. So with this experiment, um, researchers found that ch children are typically paired up with mother in a different way on the attachment style. And so it's curious that like, does these attachment styles carry on to adult life? And that's how we relate to each other in real life as well. So yes, that's the answer. We all have different attachment styles mostly influenced by like how we were raised in the environment when we were young um, and, uh, and, and then when we grow up, we kind of like mold into that kind of style. And sometimes we, are, we don't know which style we are and it would impact how we attach or not attach to different relationships, particularly in romantic relationship or in your nuclear uh, family as well. I see. So um, if I, I probably missed some of that. So anxiously attached is where the kid is really unhappy, even when the mother returns, like makes a big protest, angry, yeah. crying. Avoidant is when the kid sees the mom return, she or he would turn away. Like, mm -hmm. you know, even though they saw the mom come back, she's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to give you the cold shoulder. Yeah. And then the third type, which is the, the mixed type, kind of like the um, disorganized, yeah, kind of shows ambivalent, disorganized, it shows both like both anxious and then it's very confusing probably even to the mother. Um, yeah. Really interesting. So how does that show up in like dating scenarios? Cause I I've seen um, even, even questions from my group, right? Like, Oh yeah. You know, I text this guy. He hasn't texted me back in a few hours. Mm -hmm. um, you know, does that mean that he's with somebody else? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> like, how does that relate to any of these attachment um, styles yeah so i think the most important thing that uh that it's different is the communication style right when you think about yourself of like how you communicate with your partner right if you are secure we know in the western model we all aim to be secure in some sense um when you're secure you're you've you will be able to talk about your emotions or like can communicate directly about like why you're upset um about the situation and, and if you're like very anxious about the, if you have an anxious attachment style, it, it struggles, you kind of like struggles with communication directly. And you are very sensitive about like what's coming up, right? 
And um, so, so for example, you might uh, act out in some sense when uh, to make the other partner feel jealous about like what you do and you know, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of like an anxious attachment kind of manifesting. Yeah. So there is also avoidant, which is basically uh, downplay how important the partner is. And just like, okay, I, I don't care. I don't care what you're saying. Um, your, your emotions is not impacting me. Your actions are not impacting me, right? And so, um, and, and like this will be like really like by yourself kind of like fight, you know? So, so there's like a, a different styles that you could find out by doing some, uh, potentially some quiz online or read the book and do the, do the test inside and see uh, what kind of style you are and how it relates to, you know, different um, relationship that you have. That's really interesting because I, um, when it comes to like avoidance styles and anxiously attached styles, it seems to me that they're just both insecure people as in the feeling is probably the same. It just seems like how they show it to the outside world, how, especially how they I'll show it to you, to the partner. Yeah, the behavior. Right? Right. The behavior is yeah. different, but the feeling is probably very similar. Is that, is that true? Well, I think it, it, it manifests in different people differently. Um, sometimes when it's uh, avoidance or anxious, or let's say anxious style, you could feel it in your nervous system, right? So it's like, it's because the attachment is so innate with your family when you're growing up, when you're young, it's the habit loop that you have already, the wiring in your brain of like how the world is gonna be, like do you trust this person or not, right? All these, all these information, it's for survival. Um, and so a lot of times when you feel those things, it's because in, in your past experience, um, you, you're learned to feel that way because these are just, types of things that your coping mechanism is, 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 is dealing with, um, you know, the history and potentially telling you how to manipulate or how to uh, maneuver um, what you could potentially do in the future. And so that's something that is a template for you. Um, so one thing I would suggest is that when you know about your different styles, when you become more aware of it, you have more control of it. So if you're aware that, oh, I am a little bit anxious or like I'm, I'm avoidant, right? Um, you could be able to see, oh, Diana, oh, right now, right now I'm feeling these feelings because I have that attachment style, right? And then how can you gain some skills and knowledge to be able to, okay, how do we communicate in a more secure, um, you know, like effective way rather than getting upset? About so, it. yeah, this is super interesting because I think a lot of folks in my group um, want to move towards secure. They're mm. insecure. Dating as an insecure person is pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. I think maybe being anxiously attached is the most uncomfortable because at least if, if you're an avoidant, and I could be completely wrong, at least if you're the avoidant, you can kind of lie to yourself that you don't care, <laughs> even though you care. Yeah. So you stuff the emotion away so you try to not feel it. It's there. Um, I think I, I personally harbor some of that avoidant in my early days because I grew up in an environment where my parents just don't care about mm -hmm. how I feel. And if I tell them how I feel, they'll just use it against mm -hmm. me. So very early on, uh, of course, back then I didn't understand what gray rock meant. I was a gray mm -hmm. rock. 
And so when I first started dating, if um, I perceive, it's a perceived, um, if a guy, I felt like he was not being respectful, he didn't live up to his words, whatever it could be, and I was offended, I don't necessarily communicate. I don't protest. I just gray rock. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know any better, right? I, it's something, it's a coping mechanism that helped me survive childhood. So in my mind, it's like, let me carry this yeah. on. It's, it's, it's how it works. It never crossed my mind that I ought to change it. So I think for people that are desperate to change their attachment style, what is the, how do you work with them through therapy to say, you could change and this is how you change yeah so one of the things that the, the first step is awareness if you're not aware of it then you cannot change it right so if you're aware of it then slowly in therapy it's relating to the therapeutic relationship you know like the the you know the therapist and the client able to have a secure attachment so that the client have uh, experienced that in a safe environment so that like they could translate it to other aspects of, you know, of life as well. So for example, I will say something along the lines of like, um, um, when I notice that a client is a little bit off, right. I will, regarding our relationship, therapeutic relationship, I will actually like model like effective communication. Just like, Hey, um, I notice that there's something going on. I don't know what it is. Can you let me know what's happening with you right now regarding this relationship? Have you ever feel angry at me or, you know, or um, other emotions or, or disappointed at me because I said something wrong or I, I, you know, so, so having that candid conversation for and allowing space for the client to be able to say, yeah, Diana, I, I'm so angry when you said that, right? Let's say, right? And that will actually build up the, the, the relationship um, in a way that is transparent and secure because I'm not gonna run away. The client is not gonna go run away. We're able to have that conversation, difficult conversation. And that's modeling what real life scenario is. All relationships have rupture and repair. There's a breaking point and the work is to repair it, right? Also in therapeutic relationship as well. So how can, how can you as a client be able to see that and not, you know, sit with that discomfort because I'm breaking, we're breaking the cycle and also seeing the benefit of it and then relating it to other parts of their life. And so that's how in therapy specifically, how we uh, uh, kind of like, kind of like play with this uh, in a way. And um, I also do drama therapy. So um, a lot of times I do a lot of role play or, um, you know, different theatrical techniques and I kind of draw those things up uh, in a non, in a, in, in a playful way, you know, okay, now we're not therapist and client relationship. We are, uh, you're, I'm your mom and you're the daughter or vice versa, or your relation, your partner, right? And so these kind of attachments now come up so quickly and we could talk about it in a more of a distance way. So, so that's how I work with the attachment. Yeah. So interesting. So like in drama therapy, you guys actually role play the scenario that's say bothering a, a client. Um, Cause I think a lot of 
the folks in, in my group also have boundary setting mm. issues as in I, I I know I need to set boundaries I feel so guilty because all my life my parents told me that whenever I need something I express a need I'm being selfish yeah so then just to try to overcome that is nerve-wracking for people so do you say for example like pretend to be the narcissistic father or mother well, and then yes client would then model that and then you would model like the the really mean parents so it depends it depends on the client um uh i typically go really slow when we're talking about boundary setting because boundary setting in the thing where it is like in the brain you know that you should say no but in your heart, you couldn't, right? So even like simple exercise, like line repetition, um, I will have the client say um, uh, the same word, no. And I'll say, please, can I have it? I really want to have it. And then the client will say, no, no, no. Like, I want it, I want it, no, right? So like just playing around with it, just by the client able to repeat you know, like repeat the word no. Like there's so much that comes up in, in the session um, because the client, it's relating back to like the history of like saying no, the ability of saying no, and what kind of emotions come up with someone and just like, please, please, this is a secret between us, just, just please, no one needs to know. <laughs> and then like, you know, like setting that boundary. And so in the playful way, um, to, to explore these kind of like tension, very subtle tension that comes up and then it creates insight for the client. Now that's super interesting because I, I can imagine like in dating scenarios, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm just saying in a simple example, female, male guys want to push it. <laughs> like, hey, why don't we go get a drink? Let's go to my place. And then oftentimes the women is afraid to say, you know, I don't feel comfortable with that because they're afraid yeah. of losing that affection. Um, maybe that also ties back to attachment theory in some way. Yeah, it's hard to communicate. That's both a boundary setting and perhaps a attachment um, situation. How do you work with somebody that has difficulty saying no to demands from other people in a, in a dating relationship? Uh, I think in a dating relationship, uh, the, the therapist, I typically have to ass assess if uh, uh, there's something other than, you know, boundary setting stuff going on. Because if uh, boundary setting is not being honored, right, uh, the client will feel very unsafe in the situation. Right? It's just like setting the playground uh, to play, right? You need some fences. If there's no fences, the child also feel very unsafe, which is the same metaphor of, you know, boundary setting um, because you don't know where the line ends and that creates some, some kind of insecure, um, you know, uh, uh, feelings inside and it can manifest into like anxious or fearful or dismissive, you know, like, so, so those are relating to like attachment style. So I think working through that is practicing how, how you set up boundaries and what are some of the relationship that you have with boundary? Have you have relationship with boundary where you set the limit and people are not honoring it, right? And, and, and how can you work with that? And knowing that your experience is with that one person and how can we shift it to other people that other people might be respectful of your boundary? 
Yeah, that's super interesting because um, I think when I look at back in my life, the reason I don't, I didn't even understand what the word boundary means mm-hmm. um, until maybe 10 years ago. I just, it just never, I don't know. I was never educated about it. Maybe in Chinese, I, I don't think that phrase even really exists. I think it was translated back from English to Chinese, like 个人界限, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not a concept that people throw around. Whereas here, I think in the U.S., there's more of, you know, you got to have good boundaries, et cetera. So for me, it was a, a learning lesson as well. And I think to your point, when somebody grows, grows up like me in an environment where, first of all, I wasn't allowed to set boundaries. That was, a, that was a cause for punishment. You try to set boundaries, you're in trouble. And then, of course, if I set boundaries, it's uh, quickly ignored anyway. So I learned that there's no point. Even if I didn't know what the phrase boundary setting meant, I know that, you know, it doesn't work. So Yeah, I but it's it. also interesting because your, your parents have been setting boundaries for you. And you have been following their, their boundary <laughs> setting. You're right. You're right. But then I learned the, the thing is um, I, I don't like authority because I felt like they can just mm-hmm. do whatever they want. Right. And I think you're right. Another point I really like about what you said is that we set boundaries so that we can feel safe. So we're not acting fearful. We're not giving what we're not ready to give. We're not willing to give. Um, so what happens if you set a boundary, let's say that I tell this guy, you know, I, I'm not, this is not the point that I want to do this yet. I want to take it slow. And then they keep pushing. What happens if people disregard your boundaries? What are your options? Well, I think it depends on the situation, right? Uh, If you're unsafe, run, right? (laughs) But at the same time, it's like, how can you communicate that your boundary setting is really important? And in therapy, like a lot of times uh, we, we practice, we practice boundary setting. What are some of the, the tools that we can use to make sure that people understand? I want to set this boundary because, you know, what are the reasons behind to communicate that with the person, right? Like, oh, I don't want to go there because I don't feel safe. I don't feel well, right? When, when we're in this situation, right? I need something in order to feel safe. Like, what do you need to be able to, to, to cross that boundary or shift that boundary? Right? That, that, that's, that's something about like negotiating, um, you know, where you're at, where you're feeling right now. And also your boundary could shift tomorrow, the, the next minute, right? Um, and, and how do you, do you actively communicate with your partner about it? Yeah, I think personally, and then a lot of times I give people advice is that be brave enough to express what you need, because mm-hmm. people can also then say yes or no, whether they can meet your standards, meet your demands or not. And so why drag out to say a relationship and waste your time? It lets, let's say, for example, I want to have kids and my partner or the, my date does not. Might as well find it out early, right? So have mm-hmm. the courage to ask the hard questions. The hard questions are the ones where you're not sure you want to hear the answers because the answers could work either way. It's scary for you because you feel like there's a lot uh, at stake. However, the earlier you get that answer, the more time you save, right? So the same with setting boundaries. If I go on a date and this guy keeps pushing and I express for your point, why my reasons in a, in a uh, reason way, and then they keep pushing, they're showing to me, that there's somebody who doesn't care about my boundaries, doesn't care about my needs, and that 
that is a, a definite red flag. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think one of the things that I would also add to that, like, is re re reflecting on the relationships and the boundary settings or like the attachment style that you have or, and the other person have, right? Um, and, and that dance itself, it's very different in different relationships. Your friend might be different from your partner, right? Your partner might be different from your parent and able to differentiate that. At the same time, boundary setting is also modeling. So if you're able to model and say, when they set a boundary, I will honor that, right? It helps with the relationship of like, oh, this is important. And, and, and be able to say, this is, this is a respectful relationship where when you set a boundary, I honor that. And when I set a boundary, you honor that. And, and so that's, that's something that I would, I would suggest as well. Yeah. Yeah. Working on ourselves as well, huh? Yeah, it always has to be both ways. Because a lot of times we're like, oh yeah, you know, I want my, uh, I want to look for a partner that has X, Y, Z qualities. Mm -hmm. And then we have to realize that to have the right to ask for that, we have to have the same quality because guess what? That amazing person is also looking for an amazing person. <laughs> you know, I really also like your um, focus on effective communication, kind of putting yourself out there, right? Not necessarily protecting your heart or trying to avoid rejection, but just mm -hmm. asking the question. Because it reminds yeah. me of, you know, recently a buddy of mine moved to Canada and then I text him and say, hey, how's it going? And then a couple months later, I didn't hear back. And I text him again, like, hey, you know, haven't heard from you. How is it going? Of course, it went to the ether. And so I was like, hmm, that's weird. So I started to concoct all these stories of why he's ignoring me. <laughs> like, did I do something? Did I say something? Um, and then finally, he called me up in a different phone number, the Canadian phone number. So I was like, mm. and then we cleared the air, right? So I think that to me is a good reminder that sometimes there is no esoteric, weird, upsetting story if we just ask a question. Maybe there is, but you know, half the time we're just thinking about things that aren't even there and then upsetting ourselves for no reason. Yeah. So thank you for that reminder. Effective, effective communication mm -hmm. is a way of protecting ourselves too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that is feeling safe in who you are that even if my buddy said, you know, you may, I, I just, I got better friends now in Canada. <laughs> like, I just don't have time for you. If I don't take any rejection as, you know, I am nothing, I'm worthless, then I would be empowered to ask the question and be empowered to say, okay, that's one person's opinion versus the world is telling me that I am not worth their time. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, that's part of being securely attached is to feel secure in your self-worth. And then do you also coach people? And I'm just asking an open-ended question. Do you coach people to act as if? Is that useful? So basically, even if I'm not a securely attached person, to model securely attached behavior until I feel it. Well, I think a lot of times uh, it, it really depends on the situation. Um, if, if a person is, doesn't feel genuine, Sometimes it's harder to do that. You know, you could do the act, but you're not feeling it, right? Um, so a lot of times we will do exploration in, in therapy, specifically drama therapy. I could, we could play different roles of attachment, right? And how does that um, impact the relationship? And so it kind of like presented in a way where the, the client will be able to feel it 
and see the difference within. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of times uh, I also work with families uh, and clients about uh, transgenerational trauma. Um, and so that would really help uh, with understanding as well, because you could see, oh, that, that's the reason why I feel that way, or that's the reason why I feel, you know, like uh, um, insecure or like the world is unsafe, right? And when we clear out and process those, those kind of trauma, then you'll be able to, you know, have new openings and new opportunities for different relationships. Wow. So transgenerational trauma therapy, does that entail bringing in your ancestors or your parents? Into the <laughs> well, in a trauma therapy way, we could bring in anyone we want. Um, oh, that's true. That's true. Uh, and uh, it's really, really fun to work with that um, because uh, a lot of times when we relate to people, it's how we relate uh, in, you know, with our ancestors. Um, and that, that will give a new perspective to clients typically. Wow. Yeah. Cause I, I was just thinking like, I don't know if I'll ever bring my parents into a therapy room. <laughs> I don't think it will work. But You can work uh, <laughs> in person, like one-on-one -on -one as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it's more about the per perspective that's taken from them. Yeah. Wow. That's super interesting. So yeah. Thank you, Diana. This is amazing information because I know the group has been clamoring for um, attachment style. And this is the first time that we're doing this overview and hopefully we can bring you back because you have such a wealth of information and you work with so many different types of people. Yeah. Thank um, you so much. So I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah. Can you tell us how folks can find you? Uh, you can find me at dianachewtherapy.com. That's the easiest way to reach me. Um, uh, I also have a podcast as well. Uh, it's called Waves of Change. So you can find me there too. And I have a co-host, Dr. Lee. Um, yeah, so, so I'll see you in the internet. <laughs> I am a huge fan of um, you and Dr. Lee's show, The Way of Change. I listen to every episode. I just love it. It's sort of like the two of you. So he's a psychologist, you're a therapist, and the two of you like going back and forth, back and forth yeah. on various topics that are very top of mind for everybody. It's super entertaining. It's very uh, pithy as well. So I feel like I learned something really solid after every episode. Um, I will put all that information in the show notes so that people can check it out. And, and thank you for also recommending that book, Attached. Um, great book. So thanks again for coming on the show. You're welcome.